Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Kitchen Club with me, Sarah Malcolm, and my lovely friend, Serena Lau. Kitchen Club is the weekly podcast that brings you conversations from around our kitchen table. Each week brings a new guest, a new area of expertise to dive into, and a delicious new recipe created using our guests' three favorite ingredients. This week, we're chatting to the brilliant Dr. Rupi Orgula, aka The Doctor's Kitchen, a medical doctor, podcaster, author of three incredibly successful cookbooks, and a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle change as medicine. We chatted to Rupi about food as medicine and getting enough diversity in your diet, how to navigate the minefield of supplements and the importance of a good night's sleep. We actually recorded this podcast from a very cosy pub in the Cotswolds. We had a lovely little work trip away, courtesy of Nemo Travel, who very kindly put us up in the beautiful Swan Pub in Ascot under Witchwood, where we spent a couple of days working and enjoying the countryside. It was very lovely. It was truly delightful. So thank you very much, Nemo. We hope you really love this episode. And if you'd like the recipe, as always, you can find it over on our Patreon page. So here is the wonderful Dr. Rupi Orgela on Kitchen Club. Hello, Rupi. Hello. Welcome to Kitchen Club. I'm super excited. Well, I'm, I'm sort of disappointed and excited at the same time. So I would have loved to have been cooked for, but yeah. I know. Alas. <laughs> I know, and we're that's we're so sad that we can't cook for our guests, but still really glad that you're able to join us virtually. And it's a busy old time for you, so so appreciated with you. With oh, your of course, yeah, no, no, and it's, it's busy for everyone, isn't it? Everyone's got stuff going on, and you know, even if you're working from home or whatever you do, everyone has like these crazy busy lives. But I guess I've kind of been working on that a bit for myself to not like regard myself as busy because whatever you think becomes your reality. I'm a big believer in that. And so if you believe that you are busy, busy, busy all the time, then your schedule just is rammed even more so than it perhaps is. So the way you think and the way I process things is more in in congruence with how I want things to be. So if I believe myself to be able to fit things in, like, you know, have a wonderful conversation with you guys, then I'll just make it happen. So yeah that was a bit of a tangent sorry <laughs> yeah no I love that I literally couldn't agree with that mindset more I think busyness attracts busyness yeah, yeah. absolutely yeah you, you, you attract what you believe and I think you know if I believe myself to be abundant with time to you know have the time to take presence and the time to exercise then I'll make those things happen and actually over the last couple of months I've kind of been doing a lot of that uh, and been able to manage all the other sort of projects that I've got going on so yeah which is so important as well when you do have big stuff to take the time to actually prioritize the stuff you enjoy. Yes, so exactly. Important. So important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Rupi, let's dive straight in and speak about your three favorite ingredients that you told us. And I'm sorry that I didn't say veggie free, <laughs> free asking you. So you can tell us your three before, like with, with the other one in, the other one. Um, yeah, yeah. Can you remember what you told us? Well, to be honest, like, when you told me it had to be veggie, I was like, how did I forget nut butter? 
I, yeah. I like, I'm surprised that wasn't in my in my list to start off with. Um, and it, honestly, it was really hard to think of three ingredients. So, so nut butter was one of them. Uh, I'm trying to remember the two <laughs> that, that I sent now. What were they? They spices. Uh, would you like some reminding? Yeah. <laughs> so it was shiitake mushrooms. Oh yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I'm then gochujang. Is that how you say? Yes, gochujang. Yeah, yeah. So I'll tell you the reason behind those. So gochujang is like one of the most amazing spice mixes you can get. It was It's not. It's kind of like part spice mix, part like tomato puree. Um, you know, just adds instant flavor. It's like this Korean paste and shiitake mushrooms. I've had a bit of a revelation over the last few years with mushrooms in general and all the different varieties of them. Um, and shiitake are like top of my list because they're so versatile. You can bake them, you put them in stews and curries that can be made in Japanese cuisine, English cuisine, Indian cuisine, or whatever cuisine. It's, they're just like, they can mimic all those things. And nut butter because I'm literally a nut butter addict. Yeah. You also said anchovies. We, we can say that. You did say that. I think they're such a great ingredient because they just add so much saltiness. But Serena's the veggie, so... I'm the annoying oh, veggie, I'm afraid. Oh, no worries. There has to be one. <laughs> I do. I'm not going to lie. I actually quite, I quite like it. I quite like an anchovy. <laughs> so we could have. But we, no, happen. but we have, we have a bit of a, a rule that it's veggie recipes across the board with the podcast. So I'm sorry about Fair that. Play. Fair play. No, 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 I understand. I mean, to be honest, uh, every recipe that I've cooked on my pod um, has been veggie bar one, I think. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a big fan of the veggie recipes. Yeah. Shall we tell you what we've made for you then? Go on. I'm really intrigued. <laughs> so what we would have cooked for you is satay noodles with a delicious satay sauce made with peanut butter and your gochujang. Nice. With pan fried shiitake mushrooms and Brussels sprouts sauteed in tamari and sesame seeds. That sounds amazing. Because Sarah feels very strongly that Brussels sprouts are not just for Christmas. Yeah, I, I'm exactly the same. Exactly yeah. the same. People just don't know how to use Brussels sprouts properly. But when you roast them, particularly with like, you know, tamari and dust it with sesame seeds, that's definitely yeah. the way to eat them. For sure. Exactly. They're basically tiny little cabbages. So whatever you do to <laughs> so cute. a cabbage, they are like you could chop they them are. and they're just like a cabbage. Slice yeah. them really finely butter oh, yeah. yeah if you shred Delicious. them and fry them with butter and garlic they're great yeah exactly people don't really uh, it's a revelation when you cook like brussels sprouts for the first time to someone who hasn't had it properly and they're reversed to it because you just think about like back to school dinner days where they were like overcooked or with, mm. I, I think of uh, hospital christmas dinners of which i've had many a many a hospital dinner after 10 years of working in medicine and they are just like, it's just so, so depressing. A, because you're in hospital working <laughs> and B, because it's just such a, like a disappointing meal to have. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Just like smelly and moist. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's not good. Yeah. I think they should be celebrated because they're so seasonal and, you know, we love talking about seasonal food on the podcast and people think, oh, because December's over, let's stop eating them or Christmas is over, let's stop eating them. So yeah, all hail sprouts in Jan. And I'm not actually sure when they are, when the season stops, but hopefully it's still January. <laughs> yeah. Well, it definitely goes through January for sure. Yeah. Good. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Those ingredients, Rupi, we actually wanted to ask you, do they have anything? I mean, we know that you're very big on food as medicine and, and mm. having, enjoying food because it's so good for us. So do mm. those three ingredients spark any of that for you? Like subconsciously, maybe would you have chosen them because of that? Well, in a, in a way, yes. So anchovies for sure, because across the board, us in the UK, even though we have abundant fish supplies, don't eat enough of the oily fish that has the long chain omega-3 fatty acids, EPA and DHA, mm. which have been shown in a number of different studies when supplemented to have potential benefits to brain health and cardiovascular health as well. So anchovies for that reason, I think, you know, we need to be eating more of those small oily fish, mackerel, uh, sardines, all these different things. And there's so many interesting ways in which you can use anchovies, even if you don't like anchovies, like I've cooked meals with anchovies in the base, in the tomato that people don't even realize. And like, oh my God, you know, I had anchovies. 
Uh, not to vegetarians, don't worry, I'm not sneaking <laughs> to vegetarians' uh, diets and stuff. Never um, coming for dinner at yours. <laughs> <laughs> Shiitake mushrooms are another really interesting one because um, they're a source of B vitamins like many other mushrooms. They're also um, protein-rich, I guess, for, for vegetarians. You'd have to eat a lot of it to mimic it, and that's why the better protein sources for vegetarians are things like lentils, beans, and nuts. And so nut butter, again, is a really nice way of adding not only good quality fats and uh, fiber, but a bit of protein as well. And you have this beautiful array of micronutrients like magnesium, vitamin E that you get in, in different uh, nuts and, and seeds, like tahini paste. Um, so nut butter, I think, is a, is a really good addition to people's diets, particularly if you're, you're plant-based or largely plant-based like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the other thing I think to say about nuts and seeds in general is that traditionally we've been quite fearful around them. So, you know, most uh, people in the nutrition space would, would say in moderation. And whilst I believe that, I actually think we probably don't eat enough of it across the board because we are generally deficient in things like magnesium. We don't get enough vitamin E. And whilst people can't always be relied on to get fresh fruits and vegetables, nut butter is a really good convenient source of all those different things that we're lacking. So that's why I'm a big fan of it. Um, and uh, I probably eat too much, I would say, <laughs> so, on, on the subject of moderation. But um, I think generally that they can be a very, very healthy source. Yeah. Do you have a favorite nut butter brand? So a butter brand. So I, I flip between uh, a bunch of them. But generally, the, the stipulations are that it has to be 100% nuts. It can't have any element of palm oil. I don't yeah. care whether it's sustainable or not. Um, it shouldn't have palm oil. It doesn't need to have palm oil. Mm-hmm. Like a, a whole nuts you know should should it's good enough so meridian i think are fantastic they've got a great brand and they they use glass jars so the oil the natural oils doesn't actually degrade the plastic so even if you've got a good quality plastic which bpa free the oil actually that's emitted can can actually degrade the plastic so we should also be going towards glass in general i find um and there is another brand that i'm blanking on but I can't remember. <laughs> but Meridian is the one that comes top top of mind. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You can make your own, I guess, can't you? If you've got a Vitamix or yeah. you know, so easy so as well, isn't it? Really easy, really yeah. easy. My mum makes it quite a bit actually. She's got one of those fancy Omega blender things. Yeah, you know the big one. It makes so much noise. It's yeah. massive. Um, yeah, she was making nut butter for ages. She loves it. <laughs> Delicious. Yeah. Whilst we are on the topic of getting in our fruit and veg we'd love to chat to you about your new book yeah one yeah definitely um three two one something i've been working on for oh two years now i'd say because i took i took a bit of a break between my first two books so the first book doctor's kitchen was like a real introduction into food as medicine and and a foodie's journey through that process so i talked about like dna and the microbiota and plant-focused diets and what the evidence base was. And there's like 300 references in that book. And the second book, Eat to Be Illness, was all about, you know, zooming into specific topics like brain health, skin, immune health, and where nutrition has an intersection. And the final chapter of that book is like, guys, everything is the same. It's, it's these principles of healthy eating. You've got to have plant-focused diets, lots of fiber, colors, diversity, um, uh, lots of quality fats and eating in time, which is, you know, looking at fasting uh, or not really fasting, it's just eating in a defined window. So 321 is basically the formula for allowing people to do that every single day. So it's a very simple formula. It's three portions of fruits, vegetables, nuts, or seeds per portion, per, per person, mm-hmm. two servings per recipe, and only using one pan. Every meal, I only use one pan. So there's curry, stews, casseroles, tray bakes, you name it, it's in the book. And they they dive through different cuisines in the same way I love to cook because, you know, I see people from a range of different backgrounds, Afghani, Korean, Chinese, Indian, English, obviously. And so everyone's going to have different tastes. So I can't just be saying, here's a kale salad to everyone because it's going to be so far removed from most people. So that's why my recipes are culturally diverse. And I want to show people that you don't have to eat Mediterranean flavored to achieve the same Mediterranean benefits that that sort of way of eating has, has been described in the literature. And so 321 is like my formula for health now. It guarantees that people get enough fruit and vegetable, which is the single most important thing 
that we should focus on when it comes to feeding the nation better. Mm. Mm. And less washing up. Oh, yeah, and less washing up, exactly. I was just about to say that. I need that. My husband tells me off every time I cook because he's like, you have used every pan in the kitchen, so I need your book. (laughs) Um, Why is it so important that we're having a diverse range of fruit and veg? Because I know that for a lot of families, like they'll go to the supermarket each week and they'll get carrots, peas, broccoli, potatoes, and that's that. Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, a couple of reasons. Um, a is because uh, of phytonutrients. So phytonutrients are the plant chemicals of which there are thousands that you find in plants, largely concentrated in the skins, which, I'm, which is why I'm a big fan of not peeling vegetables within reason. Um, and this collection of phytonutrients is very diverse across different spectrum of, of plants. So getting a variety of different vegetables kind of guarantees that you get a good mixture of all those different plant chemicals. And the other reason is variety is king for your microbiota. So your microbiota, which is located largely in your large intestine, is this population of microbes, which include things like viruses, nematodes, fungi, but largely bacteria. And this population is responsible for maintaining inflammation, uh, maintaining sugar balance, uh, creating neurotransmitters. It's really important for mental health. There's a whole bunch of reasons why nurturing your gut is very good for your overall health. Mm. And variety is key for these microbes. They thrive on diversity. They thrive on new, interesting bits of food. So if you're constantly eating the same thing week in, way out, even if it might be, you know, quote unquote, superfoods or whatever, it's not doing your microbiota a, a massive uh, load of good and neither your wallet, quite frankly. It's that you want to go for the cheap, accessible sources of nutrition that line our grocery shelves across the UK and you just want to try and get variety. And that, another reason why seasonal eating is, is really a good tactic because it guarantees that you're going to get variety in your diet and you're going to get the most sort of freshest produce that's brimming full of those plant chemicals. Yeah. And you'll probably learn something along the way if you do, you know, branch out and, and get a new veg and learn how to cook it you know and it's sort of educational in that sense as well we had um a herb herbalist that's what you say mm. right yeah from pucker joanna Web- weber mm. Mm. Oh, i'm forgetting everything and she was saying that um the diversity is so key and, and actually it applies to tea as well and um that we should be getting 50 different varieties in one week is that what she said yeah but and I think that included spices and things so it yes it wasn't just 50 fruit and veg yeah so rather than you know what we've been told eat 10 fruit and veg a day that as you're saying you know you could be eating the same thing Monday Tuesday Wednesday Thursday but you're still getting your 10 so actually you need that massive amount of diversity so important yeah it really is and you, you know in the book sorry to blabber on about my book no it's no, fascinating self-promotion but uh, <laughs> in the book i wanted really people to understand how simple it can be to achieve that 10 a day or 30 a week or 50 a week however many people want to include in their diet by doing a, 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 a three to one week kickstarter so it's seven days of, of eating three to one meals and i formulated the meals such that they only take 15 minutes of prep in total for the entire day so you can with 15 minutes of prep cook breakfast lunch and dinner for the entire week and it's as simple as making use of your leftovers so as three two one recipes have got two servings if you're cooking for yourself you've got lunch the next day or breakfast mm. the next day but if you're cooking for a family you just double the ingredients and use a bigger pan and you can still achieve the same sort of um uh, three portions per person so it can be a, like you know, most people when they think of 50 a week, like, oh my God, how am I going to do that? Like how on earth or even 10 a day, like, you know, the Imperial College researchers that actually demonstrated 800 grams of fruit and vegetables is what we need per day to achieve those huge reductions in risk profile for a whole bunch of conditions. You know, it just sounds wholly unachievable, but actually it's the equivalent of three doctor's kitchen, three to one meals a day, which is achievable in 15 minutes. Wow. Epic. And that makes it so accessible as well, doesn't it? Because you hear so many people say, oh, I just don't have time to to prep things or I don't have time to eat healthily. But knowing that, that you have 15 minutes, that's amazing. You can save yeah. so much time for the rest of your day and even thinking ahead and be like, what should I make? Yeah, exactly. It kind of goes back to that thing that I was saying at the start about like, you know, if you believe that 
you are busy, then you will be busy. And and actually in the book, right before I talk about the three to one Kickstarter, I talk about you having to believe in yourself as a competent cook, as someone who can be creative from a culinary perspective. And I think it's really important to allow ourselves to entertain that idea of being competent cooks and, and being able to cook from scratch every day. Uh, whilst I, I, you know, I still think it's important to indulge and to have takeouts and you know go to restaurants and stuff. The majority of what we need to do is cooking from scratch, uh, and I hope this kind of coaxes people toward that. Yeah. Why, in your opinion, do you think people aren't getting the diversity or even the quantity of fruits and veg that they need? I guess more the diversity. I'm interested in. Yeah, I, I think so. We did a survey on the Doctor's Kitchen community, um, our newsletter community. Uh, we, we put out a, a questionnaire, just trying to get like you know a few responses to try and figure out what we should be doing in the three, two, one book, and and how we can better serve people who aren't eating that diversity every single day. Um, and we, we got we're blown away by the responses. We had about four thousand responses to this ten minute survey, and the top three things were time, motivation. Uh, and culinary creativity. So time is really understandable. You can, you know, when you're working busy hours, you've got a family to feed, mm. you're working multiple jobs, perhaps, you know, time is going to be a huge factor, particularly if you believe that cooking from scratch takes so much time, which, you know, is an underlying belief for a lot of us. Motivation, yeah, like, you know, at the end of the day, who in their right mind would think to pull out a book? Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Nigella, but a lot of the recipes I wouldn't want to do because they're just, they take so much time. It's like chopping, yada, yada. Um, and the other thing is culinary creativity is inspiration. So like, if you're looking at celery, I can think of like a hundred things to do with celery, but most people don't watch Saturday kitchen every week or like Nadia or like, you know, constantly talking to other people about food. Like I'm just talking about you. So people don't, you know, and the expectation that people should have that inherent knowledge is way, way out of whack. And so that's what we try to attack with 321. It's like trying to hit those 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 three main things that people struggle with. Uh, and it's really been a process of just talking to people, both patients, people at cookery demos when we used to do those, um, people in person at conferences and online as well. And um, And hopefully it kind of ticks a lot of boxes and it will kind of permeate that culture into how we coax people to live healthier, happier lives. Yeah. Well, what a book then. (laughs) (laughs) I can't wait to see it. We also want to know your opinion, Rupi, on supplements. Because, I mean, if we're eating enough fruit and veg and getting enough in our diet, do we still need to supplement? And obviously you have just so much more knowledge on everything (laughs) health-related than us. So your opinion on this would just be really nice. Like, do you think people need to supplement vitamin D over winter? Mm. Yeah. What's your take on it? So this is a real hot topic, um, particularly with my classmates in my, my master's um, program at the moment at university of Surrey, because it always comes up at how much of the literature is geared towards supplementation, whether we're talking about vitamin C or vitamin D or magnesium or even selenium, you know, all the studies are to do with supplementation rather than looking at real food. Mm. And across the board, most supplementation studies aren't great. Um, they're not conducted well. Um, the observational study, there's even the interventions, there's loads of like caveats and biases and all the rest of it. Overall, the way I think about supplements is exactly what it says on the tin. They are supplements to a healthy diet where sleep is sort of like the bedrock, nutrition's up there, mindfulness up there. Uh, mindset is up there as well and then supplements are on the top so they're really the cherry on top for a lot of other things that you need to get right first the supplements that i think warrant more attention uh omega-3 uh the long chain and um the long chain epa and dha because we tend not to have enough oily fish in our diet including myself um vitamin d i'm a big fan of vitamin d even though i know there's quite a few others that would disagree with that in fact, I had Tim on my um, Tim Spector on my podcast, and he's very anti-vitamin D. And so, and 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 that's kind of controversial in the in the nutrition world as well. But he, he's been studying it for years and years. But we respectfully disagree on those things. <laughs> um, but vitamin D three, I think, is 
is not only something that is lacking in, in diet, it's disproportionately lacking in people from South Asian origin or African origin because of our skin and we don't absorb a, uh, much of it um, through uh, the melanin content in our skin. And also we live in the UK, which is of a latitude that is quite high and we don't get enough of the, the, the right um, spectrum of sunlight to convert it. So I actually take vitamin D3 throughout the year. But certainly it's government advice to take vitamin D3 during winter months. And particularly during this year where we've all been cooped up inside, I think it's probably even more pertinent. The argument against vitamin D is that it's um, a marker of ill health rather than the cause of ill health in a lot of cases, unless it's crashingly low in causing osteomalacia uh, or rickets, as it's known in, um, in, in childhood. Um, then some people believe there isn't uh, much evidence behind vitamin D3, but it's pretty innocuous and it's very hard to get hypervitaminosis from taking vitamin D3 in the levels that you'll find in a typical supermarket. Uh, the other thing is iron, for uh, particularly for, for women of menstruation age, childbearing age. Um, obviously, you're having this removal of, of blood products, which is going to lessen your iron, um, and a lot of people struggle to, to maintain iron stores particularly those in a, in a plant-based diet as well, where you can get it from beans, but it's not always in the, uh, the appropriate formulation um, in terms of heme iron. Uh, I mean, we could go on about supplements of various forms. You know, there's nutraceuticals uh, like sulforaphane and quercetin and resveratrol, which are very popular amongst biohackers. Um, there's the more traditional multivitamins that I don't think have very good evidence behind. And I think is perhaps unnecessary unless you have a condition like inflammatory bowel disease, where you could be in a disease in a, in a, uh, a mineral losing state where it is advisable to have that. But most people will be able to achieve uh, replete nutritional levels uh, if they have a very balanced diet. Um, rather than just supplementing your way out of it. You can't out-supplement a bad diet, as I say. Mm. Yeah, good mm. point. I think it's also so personal, isn't it? And you can't, it's not one size fits all for, for everybody. And if what works for, for one person, they might you might see on Instagram or something that someone's taking this supplement and then suddenly people everywhere think they should be also taking that. But yeah. it's so, so personal and yeah, one person might be lacking something completely different to the other. But I think that's such a lovely approach to sort of make sure you're getting the foundations of health with sleep, nutrition, exercise, mental health. Yeah. All first. I think that's really lovely. And Definitely. On- you know, it's, it's, I mean, I'm not one to comment on other people's activities or the activities of businesses where they try and promote supplements and all that kind of stuff. But it, it is slightly perturbing that people are being uh, scared into thinking that they're nutritionally deplete and that they should be taking a supplement with biotin in for good healthy hair and, and you know, one with collagen in for healthy nails and stuff, when actually you can achieve that and you can put your money towards a better diet that can actually help you achieve that and, and even more so because you're not supplementing something that's in isolation. You're actually consuming foods that have an abundance of other bioactives that could be benefiting you. So that's why across the board, I'm, I'm generally not a fan of, of unnecessary supplementation and the activities of companies that try to prey on usually vulnerable younger people who don't, who won't be listening to me <laughs> or, or won't you know, buy my book. They're just like, I want to look like this person. They've yeah. got glossy hair. They've got great skin. They've got all the girls or got all the guys or whatever. Yeah. I'm going to do their supplementation regime. It's, it's kind of the way of the world, right? Yeah. Danger of advertising in general. Yeah, yeah, I think I just so. think we need we need more, we need different things. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um so this episode is obviously going to come out in the aftermath of December. So Sarah and I have been chatting about like the things that kind of hit us hard in December like sleep and caffeine and booze. Um first off we'd love to chat to you about stress and the physical effect of stress, because I'm, I think I'm right in thinking, but please tell me if I'm not, that kind of our modern lives have us on high alert. We're like in constant fight or flight mode, which is clearly not great for our bodies. I think for our adrenals, but please tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you're right. Like stress is like the modern day um, 
epidemic, I reckon, you know, as is loneliness and a whole bunch of other mental health disorders that people are becoming a lot more brave about talking about. Um, and it's great to see that at a celebrity level and across the board. But stress is is quite an interesting subject because it's this huge umbrella term that we kind of label as stress, but there's so many different variations of it. You know, it could be because of relationships or finance or job insecurity, a whole bunch of other new ones because of uh, health anxiety, particularly this year. And what stress uh, in all its various forms does is raise your cortisol levels which are raging high, and that literally dumps sugar into your bloodstream, which is why stress is a contributing factor to inappropriate blood levels that can put you at high risk of things like type 2 diabetes. It can also predispose you to things like cardiovascular problems. There's a clear association between stress and cardiovascular issues, uh, including stroke and, and heart disease. Um, and, you know, it's it's one of those things that can't be willed away with tablets or other traditional means, it really comes down to the person themselves, um, as well as the environment that we create. And I'm a true believer in that we've created what I call a psychogenic environment. Everyone's heard of an obesogenic environment because there's sugar all over the place. But a psychogenic environment is one where we are isolated and one of urbanized environments without any green spaces or environments where there isn't uh, an ability to engage in community which is one of the things that I'm most worried about, actually, coming out of the pandemic. It's this loss of connection between people, um, not just from a sort of a relationship point of view and a you know a courage and camaraderie point of view, but, but on a physical level as well because of the ramifications of, mm-hmm. of stress. So, you know, one thing that I've, I've developed over the last uh, few years is something I've been practicing for way longer than I uh, permitted me to talk about on social media is, is gratitude. Because gratitude is honestly the antidote to stress and 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 hate and everything that you see online. It's it's really being um, comfortable in the present moment rather than willing and wanting for something to happen to you in the future and always thinking about the future or the past. The gratitude right now is like this moment that I'm chatting to you guys and I've had a lovely lunch or you know i am drinking this water that's clean or you know i'm in an area in london where i'm protected the heating is on and my my toes are nice and toasty you know all these things that we we take for granted um when we compare particularly this year like it's really come to the the forefront of the degree of inequality in the uk alone which is one of the most developed quote-unquote nations in the world which is really frustrating so that's a really long-winded answer to, to stress in my, my opinion on stress. But yes, it is something that definitely uh, is the root of physical ill health as well as mental ill health, which is just as important. Yeah, I think I completely agree with you. Be gratitude just, I mean, it stops you in your tracks, doesn't it? And just allows you to make peace with the present moment and present self. And I keep on backtracking slightly, but we had another amazing woman called Donna Lancaster come on and she said, you know, gratitude is such a massive thing that you can think of a hundred things right in this moment to feel grateful for. And it instantly puts, puts some perspective into your life. Mm. and it's yeah brilliant and a serena as a she's a gratitude gal i'm obsessed with my gratitude (laughs) practice i talk to anyone who wants to listen about it (laughs) it's the best yeah i love it i mean it's it's it takes a bit of getting used to and i think you know it's not the first thing that i would uh pick up about in in a consultation when i'm speaking to someone who perhaps is food insecure job insecure financially insecure stressed with their you know, kids, you know, the last thing, well, the first thing is not, oh, have you tried gratitude? <laughs> it's like, you know, empathizing, showing compassion uh, and and trying to almost like fulfill that role of being a health coach as a lot of general practitioners are essentially across the country where counselors, health coaches, nurses, doctors, we're, we're like jack of all trades really. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think when you can move people toward that um, that level where they can actually practice gratitude independently of being told to um it's a, it's a great place to to be in and it's a great practice to do religiously and it won't cause like a miraculous sort of revelation but over time you'll begin to notice your ability to tolerate 
uh, and to, to 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 really just get on with things. Mm, so agree. We have quite a lot we want to speak to you about, Rupi. I'm just so very yeah, aware of right. time. I'll try and keep my um, answers uh, shorter, if you like. <laughs> well, I don't know. It might feel like a bit sporadic now if we're... Because we were just like, well, Rupi's going to know so much. About everything. So surely he can just be like, play our God and just know the answers <laughs> to every question we ever have, which is actually what, you know, general practitioners do, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you must get that a lot. But yeah. one thing I, we do want to kind of speak about, and you have mentioned it as a sort of building block for health is sleep Mm. um and yeah and the importance of it and it also relates so much to mental health and stress it's a massive topic so Mm. we so appreciate that it would just be a nugget of your information and your knowledge rather um how important is sleep for us and you said it was like the first thing Mm. that needs to be addressed before yeah, kind of before everything else. There's this graphic that I refer to, um, and it's an annotation from examine.com, which is the world's biggest unbiased um, supplementation website. And they talk about a whole bunch of topics, including sleep. And because sleep is obviously one of the most searched topics when it comes to supplements, what supplements can I take to improve my sleep? Mm. And so there's we, we did a, a revision of that graphic for, for my social media, and it, it it caused quite a bit of a stir because a lot of people didn't realize just how, how I felt about sleep as the real bedrock of a healthy lifestyle. You can't really do much if you don't have sleep because everything kind of flows and clicks into place when you've had good rest, your immune system, your cognitive performance, your appetite, your ability to regulate hormones, all these different things. And so there lies the question, how on earth do you improve sleep? And I just want to say from the get-go, my sleep is really erratic really really erratic like i wear an aura ring i'm going to start wearing another tracking device soon um to try and figure out ways in which i can improve it but consistently things that i've done kind of mimic with the kind of things that i always advise so those are limiting caffeine particularly before 12 p.m and eliminating it in complete completely if possible so the days where i don't have caffeine during the day i sleep a lot better So that's the first thing. I'm quite sensitive to caffeine and caffeine has a a half-life of anywhere between eight and 10 hours. So if you drink a cup of coffee, let's say at 2 p.m., you'll have half of that coffee in your system at about 10 p.m. So you wouldn't reasonably drink half a cup of coffee or any coffee at 10 p.m. right before you go to sleep. And that's what we're essentially doing by having coffee later in the day. So that's the first thing. So coffee and other caffeinated products. The second thing is technology. So I think everyone is aware now of all these cool blue light blocking glasses. It's, you know, an impact on our phone and flux on our computer and all these other applications. But the use of technology, despite all those barriers, is still very stimulating lasting at night. And so I try as much as possible not to use my phone. And instead, I perform like a relaxing activity like reading or obviously do my gratitude uh, or even journaling actually is something a new thing that i'm getting into now of just getting everything down on paper so i can go to bed with a positive accent and that will help my sleep and stuff and the other thing that i've been experimenting with and this is not for everyone is freezing cold showers <laughs> so freezing cold shower before you go to bed because naturally your body temperature drops in the middle of the night and so to kind of encourage your body to get into that sleepy state, actually dropping your body temperature with a freezing cold shower, not for everyone, but for a freezing cold shower actually does help. And every time I do that, I fall asleep like a baby. It's amazing. And I have good sleep as recorded by my tracking device. And the thing about tracking devices, I should say, is that they're not very accurate according um, against the uh, sleep studies, um, which is the gold standard. But what they can demonstrate for you as an individual, if you use it over time, are trends. So Mm. I know that if I have even half a glass of wine the night before, man, my sleep is disturbed. It really is disturbed. Or if I have a big meal at night, that's another tip, actually, not to eat too late, because that can disturb your melatonin production and your your, uh, quality of sleep. So those those would be my my top tips for sleep. And the, the real barrier, I think, is getting used to that and doing that as a habit because it's easier said than done yeah 
Yeah, it's such a big thing, isn't it? I I feel exactly the same. If I have a couple of glasses of wine, then I'm just rolling around all night. <laughs> I think I'm super tolerant. I can like I can smash a good few glasses and I sleep like a baby. <laughs> I'm all good. But is it That's great. You know? I, I wake up feeling refreshed, yeah. <laughs> oh, there you go. I mean, it's all to your intuition. Maybe you maybe you process alcohol quicker. I, I, I've lost my tolerance a lot over the last few years. Like as a medical student, you know, it's pretty we're pretty infamous for for, for drinking <laughs> and partying in general. Um and uh I I'm like an old grandpa now. Like if I have <laughs> Half glass of wine, I'm just like, oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> I wake up in the morning, I'm like, nah, nah, I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. I'll keep enjoying it in case I grow out of it then. Yeah, yeah. You guys are <laughs> younger than me anyway. I'm 35, so. <laughs> That's young, Rupee. That's young. Yeah. <laughs> so, Rupee, we actually could ask you a million more questions, but we know that you are busy, even if you're believing that you're not. Um, so we'd love to chat to you about your healthy habit, please. Okay. Can you My remember what you told us? <laughs> I've got so many healthy habits. I tell you one thing I am doing. I don't know if this is on your list or not, but um, I'm waking up super early these days. So I read Robin Sharma's book, The 5 a.m. Club, and it completely revolutionized my morning routine such that, I mean, I've got a new puppy. And so the puppy woke, woke, has been waking me up like for the last few months, like three in the morning, four in the morning, to go to the bathroom, whatever. She's got better, but she still wakes up super early. So I started waking up at 5 a.m., going to sleep really early. And that as a health habit has been revolutionary because that hour in the morning where I'm not disturbed by social media or looking at my phone or even checking my emails, I walk the dog, I do either yoga or my exercise, I meditate, and I do my goals for the day. Honestly, the rest of the day just flows. Mm. It, it just puts everything in place. I know exactly what I'm doing that day. I don't wake up thinking in a rush or anything. Everything else just flows. So for me, that's been a health habit that has been pretty game-changing over the last two months. I've only been doing it for the last couple of months, so TBD. But for, for now, I think that's um, it's definitely top yeah. top of my list do you not feel tired by the afternoon actually i feel completely invigorated so like right now it's 4 p.m right yeah i feel great like i've been you know i've been busy the whole morning been doing back-to-back calls and stuff i went on a walk uh this morning as well just to clear my head and listen to a podcast which i love doing it's another one of those those sort of habits i've got into um and I feel great now. Like I, I, I know what I'm going to eat later on. Um, I, and the other thing is I finish work earlier. And so I, I try to instill a rule in myself about a year and a half ago that I finish work at 6 p.m. and I don't look at my computer afterwards. Man, do I fail at that. Like I, at 10 p.m. I'll still be working or like, you know, still be doing bits and bobs when I need to, not every day, but, you know, working like long, long hours. Since waking up early, I, I do not do that anymore. Like I, I'm completely changed in that respect. And I know when and how to use my time more effectively. And I give myself a day of the weekend. I never used to do that. Never. I used to do it seven days a week with all the other stuff and, you know, culinary medicine, the nonprofit, the book and podcast and all that kind of, like there's just no time. But now I can actually give myself time off for the weekend. It's amazing. Mm, which is so important when you need you need to digest what's going on and actually pause and definitely yeah you you did say that that was your healthy habit to us you said (laughs) you said reviewing your your action board yes yes my action board so so Tara Swart who is a neuroscientist um who's going to be on my podcast actually uh we've already recorded it and she's coming out in the new year she wrote a book called The Source. And I don't know if you've heard of uh, The Secret that was yeah. published years and years ago. So this is basically like a scientific version of The Secret. So she actually kind of goes into why affirmations, visualizing can actually lead to manifestation of whatever you're dreaming about. And instead of uh, her calling it a vision board, she calls it an action board because the whole vernacular around it being an action board makes it more like, oh, this is kind of like my to-do list. And on my to-do list, you know, I have imagery uh, of like things that I want to achieve or, you know, people I aspire or, you know, draw inspiration from. Um, uh, And I'm actually making 
one at the moment. I've done a digital one and I'm making like a physical one because there's, there's something in cutting out things from a magazine and going through the process of like arts and crafts, print stick and putting mm-hmm. it on a, a, a one piece of paper. So I'm actually going through the whole process at the moment. Um, but yeah, no, it's uh, that's been pretty good. Yeah. When I saw you said action board, not vision board, I wondered if it was because of Tara Swart. I love the source. It's such a good yeah, book. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? It's fascinating. Really, really fascinating. I've read it so many times. I think I've got it on my, my desk here. Yeah, it's just over there. And I've got I've literally got like pages folded and stuff. I'm rereading things. And yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, mine's all covered in pen marks and highlights. <laughs> I'll lend it to you if you haven't read it. It's yeah, brilliant. Please. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's yeah, really definitely. fascinating because I think it takes away the like, woo woo element that a lot of people find a bit off-putting they're like oh it's it's bullshit you can't just sit and think about things mm. and then they happen because mm. it gives you the science behind why it works exactly. people are like oh my god this is cool this is real i can do this yeah and then the fact that she's like a bona fide medic as well like she she's done psychiatry she practiced across the world you know and she's now doing this uh, course at mit She's lecturing students. She's, you know, executive coach. And, you know, it really does uh, kind of give validation to the concepts. Uh, and that sort of scientific smear is kind of what we we want these days, right? I mean, it's the whole premise as to why people have gravitated towards the doctor's kitchen is because it's no longer just somebody who intuitively knows that this is, this is you know, why healthy eating is good for you. There's an underlayer of science behind everything I talk about. And there are other things that I perhaps am scared to talk about because there isn't as much science out there, but I'm actually growing in confidence to be a bit more open and talk about pragmatism when it comes to nutrition and other lifestyle means, one of which is the source, for example. So, yeah. It was funny when you when we saw your email and it said that, and I said to Serena, what's an action board then? And she just minimized her emails and she said this and it was hers was on her desktop nice because then you see it every day i'm gonna do that yeah Yeah. i'm definitely gonna do that that's Um, awesome what's on your action board on mine yeah oh is it what's on it currently yeah (laughs) um it there is a holiday that i'd like to go on which i actually booked last week (laughs) some stuff around my work my dream home renovation for next year and a psychedelic mushroom retreat which i'm going to take myself on next year as well when we're allowed nice. to travel that's so cool which one are you going to like one in amsterdam or yeah it's called alalaho Alala, I I it's the one, one that's recommended by the psychedelic society ah so i subscribe to the psychedelic society yeah. newsletter um and it's just interesting to know i mean i haven't i haven't done psychedelics or anything like that but one of my colleagues, um, Dr. Lauren McDonald, um, she's a friend of mine who's in Brighton. You might have come across her. She is a survivor of stage four cancer. Um, she was actually on my podcast in the cancer series. And she's very open. She's studying psychiatry at the moment, um, as in to, to be a specialist in psychiatry. And she's very open about the fact that she has done psychedelics and uh, really feels that it was part of her overcoming cancer journey. And it's been pivotal in maybe not, you know, the, the physiology behind how she's overcome cancer because she had immunotherapy at the Royal Milestone, but certainly the mental aspect of it and, and how this unlocked a whole bunch of things for her. So I definitely think there's promise for psychedelics as therapy. And there's some really interesting research looking at um, it for PTSD, um, alcoholism, addiction. Um, but yeah, uh, I haven't been tempted to do it myself because I feel like, my meditation practice and all the other things that I'm doing currently are, are serving me really well. Um, but perhaps at some point in the future, who knows? Yeah. It, it might be, might be something I'd want to entertain. Yeah. Rupi, we'll chat when we're not recording. Well, I'll get you to come to Amsterdam with me. I'm fascinated in it all. I think like the mental health treatment side of it is, is, is fascinating and like super promising if it does work for people, as you said, with PTSD and stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. A lot, like a lot of people, I think are becoming more tuned to that idea, particularly after um, uh, I forget his name. I don't know why he's like one of my favorite writers who wrote the Omnivore's develop, uh, Dilemma um, and How Michael to Change Pollen. Your Mind. Michael Pollan, that's it. Since he wrote that book, I think it's like seeped into mainstream consciousness about how you know there is a lot of 
um, depth to the, the arguments for uh, psychedelics as, as therapy. Um, and it's not just something that a whole bunch of hippies did in the 60s, and, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's super interesting. Can I ask you one more question? The most important question of the whole podcast. What oh, sort wow. of puppy have you got? <laughs> I've got a, I've got a Cavapoo. Um, oh. She's sleeping at the moment. Yeah, she usually name? sleeps. At her. She's been, uh, her name's Nutmeg. she's nine months she's super super cheeky um but she's um no she's she's a great addition to the to the house and uh yeah we love it a bit i was never a dog person before you can't imagine like i really was really against getting a dog um, but then my, my partner convinced me that we should get one and then yeah, I love it to bits now. Best thing ever. I'm trying <laughs> yeah. to I'm trying to convince my my boyfriend that we should get a dog and I'm I'm almost there, almost there. Almost, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh Rupee, it's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Oh, like, pleasure's all mine. Thanks thank so much. Thank you so guys. much for loved squeezing it. us in. Have a lovely rest of your day, Rupee, and good luck with the book. I appreciate that, guys. Thanks. And have a great start to 2021, won't you? Thank you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much, Rupee, for joining us. Such a lovely chat. If you would like the recipe from today's episode, then please head over to our Patreon page where you can get your hands on that, plus all of our other delicious recipes from this season. Once again, massive, massive thank you to Nemo Travel for hosting us at the lovely Swan. Nemo booked our very last minute trip to Puglia after our lockdown wedding and they were super helpful. They found us the most incredible hotels all at very short notice. So I really couldn't recommend them more if you're looking for help planning a nice trip. Mm. Thank you all so much for listening and we'll see you soon. Bye. 